Welcome to Church 213. The book of James is a powerful blueprint for authentic and relational faith written by the brother of Christ. This unique letter challenges the minds and hearts of a church at its best. Journey with us through this book. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you take your Bibles, um, if you have those, go ahead and let's just dump, jump right in. James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Um, we're going to stand in just a moment. So just kind of go ahead and make your way there. A church at its best. We're moving closer to the end of this magnificent letter. And we've been plowing through this thing now for 11 weeks. And I don't know about you, but it has blessed my heart. Just the preparation, the journey that God has put me on through this has been profitable. And what we've noticed is um, we're plowing through this letter from an early church, from a half-brother of Jesus. James was the writer of this. He's the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. And he was committed to living life for the purposes of God. James was passionate about equipping believers that were dispersed in the region to live their very best life for the glory of God. And for 10 weeks, we've been working verse by verse for one goal, and it's this. It's that God's Word would work in us individually so we can be at our best corporately. That's what the Word of God will do. Often it's said, man, we like to dig and unpack the Word of God, but my prayer is that the Word of God would unpack us, amen, and make us the body that we are called to be. Dom quoted last week, he said, a world at its worst needs a church at its best. That'll preach right there. All right, let's, we can just have an invitation. That is so true. And what we've looked at is every single week of the past 10 weeks, there's been an authentic Christianity that's been given a test. James has laid out a series of ways that a person can know if they're truly saved, headed for heaven, or if it's, if it's just this, this, Jesus is this magic eight ball for situationally convenient salvation. It's, it's, a, it's a put to the test, every single chapter of the book of James. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at one of those, one of those last few tests. We're going to wrap this up next week. And one of the last tests that James puts before these group of dispersed believers who were in this region, if you look at Israel, north and west, Syria, and then around the area of Cilicia, is kind of where these believers were dispersed out of. We find one of these last tests right here in James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Let's stand together, if you're willing and able. You have your copy of God's Word. We're going to dig into it so that God can dig into us to, so we can take new ground. Amen, church? I didn't preach so much from James, I'm losing a page right here. James chapter 5, starting in verse 7, says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Verse 8, you also must be patient. Strengthening your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. 
Verse 10, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. And see, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance. You have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Amen, church. The word of God for the people of God. You guys can be seated. The title of the message today is simple. It's just waiting and watching. That's the test. The test is waiting and and watching. Waiting and watching. There was a couple at this airport and they were waiting to catch their flight. And when they arrived, they noticed that the gate began to board and and they were were right there at the gate and they were getting ready to get on. And the agent stopped them and she said, you need to wait. And they didn't understand it. But they kind of went back to where they were seating. They, they went over in the corner and they were put to the side and they didn't know why. And as they were waiting there holding their luggage, the plane began to board. And one by one, people began to push by them and they began to get on the plane. And, and they began to get frustrated. They began to get they, angry at, at these other passengers because they didn't understand why these people were getting on and, these, and they were having to wait. And they were mad. They were being treated like this for no reason. No explanation was given other than just, hey, you can't get on yet. And so by this time, everybody had boarded the plane. And I mean, they were, they were hot. The wife was hot. and The, the husband, I mean, he was, he, was, he was madder than a box of frogs. And the, these, these couple right here, and that's mad right there. You put a box of frogs and, and it, that's a whole other level of angry. And that's where they were. They didn't understand what was going on. And all kind of things began to go through their mind. They're like, this is not right. This is not fair. We were here early. And after everybody had boarded, the gate attendant said, okay, you guys can board. And, and she gave them their new flight ticket. And as they went down the gate, they were mad. And they, and they got on. And they looked at their ticket. And they had been upgraded to first class. And in that moment, all that anger was gone. And they didn't know why. And they didn't know how. But all of this mysterious waiting that had them impatient and had them angry was now worth it. If you're with me, say amen. That's the picture. The picture is this. The reality is sometimes having to be patient is the only way to get the best of what life has for us. But we don't like to wait for it. And so this test is laid out. And you know as well as I do, it is easy to say, yeah, I trust the Lord. It's easy for me to trust in the Lord when things are going smoothly. But as soon as things get where you feel like you're stalled out, y'all with me? And and you feel like you're, you're being forced to wait. Oh man, we get mad. We get irritated. We get outraged because we feel like life has put us in a corner when circumstances aren't playing out the way we thought they would. And James explains that a test of authentic salvation waits on his return and watches for him to work despite the pressures of this fallen world. And that's where James lands us right there in chapter 5. Here's what I want you to know, church. The return of Christ is imminent. It is imminent, which means it's, it's coming. It's soon I want you to think about it like this. You don't know the exact time and the exact circumstances that this sermon is going to be over. But I can promise you, it's imminent. 
Y'all with me? You don't know when it's going to happen. I've got it right here. I know. But you don't know the day nor the hour when I'm going to finish preaching. But here's what you know. You know based on the previous experience from what is true from the past, what is looming is 100% certain there will be a point where I say, let's stand together and pray, right? And so when we look about, when we look into the Word of God, we know that the return of Christ is imminent. In the New Testament, there's literally hundreds of references that, that points to the return of Christ. If you really do the homework, and I'll do it for you, it's been estimated that one in 25 verses of the New Testament in some way relate to the return of Christ. Pretty good odds, I'll take it. It came the first time just as promised. And he'll come again just as promised. Because God can't lie against us. And if he says he's coming again, he will because he came the first time. It's imminent. Scripture tells us this, Galatians 6, 9. I'll just roll through a few of these for you. The Bible talks about these things. It says, then the holy city. Nope, that's not it. That's a revelation. Galatians 6, 9. Is it back there? It'd be worth it, I promise. We have to wait for it. And let us not get tired of doing good. For if we reap at the proper time, if we don't, what church? Give up. It's a word of patience. It goes on. Second Peter 3.9 says this. The Lord does not delay his promises. As some understand delay. But is patient with you. Not wanting end to perish, but all to come to repentance. Revelation 22, 16 and 21. These are the last words of the canon. This is it. This, this is it. This, the, I don't know if you've ever opened your Bible to the very end and, and actually read what Jesus said. These are the last words. This is it. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. John says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plague that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of, of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life. There's more. And the holy city which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. It says it. Come, Lord Jesus, and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. It's, it, he's coming. It's imminent. It's absolutely imminent. Uh, Alistair Begg said it like this. When you stand back far enough from the Old Testament and you look at it, you see that it is an unfolding arrow, as it were, scrolling forward to Jesus. His first coming for which the timetable of history hinges. And when you stand back from the book of Revelation, you discover that what is being declared first to these uh, um, uh, bewildered saints in the first century is that they shouldn't be alarmed by all that is taking place because Jesus 
is actually in control. And that eventually the reigning power of Christ will be established when His kingdom comes in all of its permanent fullness. Look at verse 7. He says, therefore. When you see that in your Bibles, it's there for a reason. And so what is going on here? What James is doing is, is, is there's an encouragement for what Christians must do in the terrible situation that they have found themselves in from last week's message, verses 1 through 6. Now he gives them a remedy for that. And what's going on from last week is in the Roman culture, all around these believers, they were caught up in a focus on earthly treasures. That was it. Getting power, getting rich, staying rich, that was the goal. And so the church found themselves tempted with weariness in the rat race. Anybody there? Just weary? They were, they were being worn down. And when they were being worn down, they were getting angry. They were getting revengeful. All in the waiting. And as I was reading that, man, that is real life, isn't it, church? There is, nothing, there is nothing that makes me want to lose my testimony more than people that act like they have lost their minds. And it gets us there. It puts us on edge. James says, hey, an authentic believer knows how to face things out of our control without losing control. An authentic Christian knows how to live life in a culture that's out of control without acting out of control. But it seems the more they focused their lives on knowing Christ and making Him known, the more they got persecuted. It seems like the more they tried to do the right thing, the more they got pushed to the side. The more that they tried to, to live life for His purposes, the more discouraged they become. And, and, and James steps right into that tension. And for us, I need someone to step into that tension. Right? Because that's, that's real life for me. That's real life for us. And the beautiful thing about this book is it's God's faithfulness during uncertain times. I'm talking about from the contents to the maps. God is faithful. And, and James steps right into that. And so the question that the tension creates for us is how do we wait and how do we watch with, without crumbling under the pressures of Romerica? And I don't know about you, but I need to answer that question in my life. How do I not crumble? How do I stay firm in my faith when I'm watching the news or I'm waiting at the grocery store line or I'm looking to my left and right and all the injustice and the persecution of believers, not just here, but mostly around the world? How do I continue to wait and put my trust into the imminent return of Christ? You guys write this down. A church at its best waits and watches like a faithful farmer. Like a faithful farmer. I just, we, just put a ta we just put a question on the table that impacts really all of us. And that's how do we wait and how do we watch while we're being pressed down because of our faith? Well, James lays it out. Look at verse uh, 7 and 9. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Okay, that's easy, easy preaching, hard living, Pastor. God will work it out. 
But he goes on. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. See, he starts with therefore. And so we've already, we've already established he ties together verses 7 through 12 with verses 1 through 6. And what he's saying is, hey, these wealthy people that were making these Christians suffer in their pursuit of the comforts of this world, it seems so unfair. Where is God when his people are pushed to the side? I've asked that question. You see the persecution. You see the, 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 really the, the, the martyrs all around the world. You say, Lord, where are you? It seems like things are out of control, right? Why does God seem silent when believers suffer? And James gives this remedy. And what the text tells us and what the New Testament, even the words of Jesus makes clear, it's God's not going to right all the wrongs in our lives until Jesus comes. There, there's some things that just won't be fixed. Because what Christ is, is after is not necessarily before the imminent return is to fix things, but He is working to fix us so that we can fix our eyes on Him. That is what is to be fixed. That's the message of the cross. It won't be fixed just because heaven seems silent. That doesn't mean that God doesn't know how to fix us. And in the light of the uncertainty of God's coming judgment on those that push down the believer and oppress us, James says you need to be like the patient farmer. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm being pushed to the side and oppressed, I don't want to say, I wonder what a farmer would do in this situation. I'm like, no, I'm ready to fight, you know. Forget the farmer. But James says, hey, in that moment when you feel that tension, and you're tired and, and you're tired of maybe watching and waiting and you're watching the news and you're so discouraged, think about the farmer. And I, so I ask myself that question, how does waiting upon the Lord and watching for the Lord like a farmer, how does that help me under pressure? How does that help me? What he says is farmers know about patience. If you've ever grown anything, and you know it takes some time, then it takes a little work. Then it takes a little more time. Then it takes a little more work. And then it takes a whole lot of watching and a whole lot of, of, of waiting. And so just in way of quick word study, James uses two Greek words for patience. One means, uh, means long-tempered, which means to remain under control in the face of great stress. And then he uses an, another, another word that just means endurance. And if you think about long-suffering and you think about endurance, that's a picture of a farmer, isn't it? You think about a farmer. Man, a farmer knows how to stay put, and a farmer knows how to stand fast when most people would run away when they're looking at a field that is absolutely producing no harvest. You ever planted a garden? You know you walk out there, you put all that work, and you walk the row, and, and there's nothing. And you can just taste that sweet corn. I mean, your tongue, you know, it's just about to beat your brains out because you can taste it, you know. And you go out there, and, and there's nothing. 
And so you, you water it and you tend to it and, and you, you, you continue to, to do all those things. But here's what I've learned. If it's cheap and it's fast, it's not going to be good. And yeah, you can abandon it. You can go, you can go, to, to the, to, you can go see Bob Ingalls. You can buy tomatoes year-round, but there is nothing like... Come on now, y'all with me? Sit up. There is nothing like that first slice of that homemade tomato on that, on that sunbeam bread with that little mayonnaise with the salt and pepper. Woo! Come on, can I get a witness? There is nothing like it. You're not going to get that at the grocery store in the middle of February. It ain't going to happen. It takes work. It takes work. How do we have the patience to endure while we wait on the Lord's return. He tells you, you got to be a farmer. But specifically, a spiritual farmer. And what does a spiritual farmer do? You guys write this down. Trust God's timing. That's the point of, of being a farmer. It's, it's not physical farmer. It's, 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 it's looking for spiritual fruit. And a spiritual farmer is going to trust God's timing. Verse 7 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Okay, we got that. How do we do that? See how the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. See, here's what I want you to know, church. While we're under the stress of the world... James says, wait and endure. And that's not a popular message. Wait and endure. Wait and endure. He's saying, don't put down the tools of the trade and just throw in the towel and take matters into your own hands. Because that's not what a smart farmer does. A smart farmer, he knows better than that. And see, a wise farmer knows that as bad as he wants it to rain and as much rain dancing that he can do, he is at the mercy of the Lord's timing. James says that. He makes reference to the early rains and the late rains. There's no farmer that can make it rain. No form, farmer can, can, can stop it from suddenly getting cold. You ever driven down the road and you see plants in someone's front yard with trash bags around it? They're trying to save, you know, save that frost they, because they know they, they, they can't control what the weather's going to do. You can't stop the wind. You can't stop a heat wave. It's like an expecting mother waiting on a baby. There's more out of their control that is in their control. You guys write this down. Be, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, write this down. Psalm 37, 7, just a reference. You can go back this week. Psalm 37, 7 simply says this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. We don't like to wait when life hurts. I get it. But as a believer, we have to know just like the farmer... That no crop worth putting on your table has grown overnight. God is at work in us. It is His power that works in us to both will and enable us to, to serve Him, to, to, to work out those good purposes. 
And the farmer knows that, that there are seasons of rain. And the farmer knows there are seasons of no rain. If you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, man, there are seasons when you are on fire and there are seasons where life has absolutely sucked you dry. There are seasons where you know the Lord is right here and there are seasons where you say, Lord, where are you? There are ups and downs of it. And that's the picture because here's what a Jewish farmer knew. A Jewish farmer in the context, they would, they would know that the early rains would soften the soil and then there would be a lull in it. And they would have to wait for the dryness. And then those early rains that soften the soil, those late rains would come around and they would help mature the harvest. Man, life has cycles, doesn't it? Life has cycles. Your life, here's what I want you to know, is not going to be like this forever. There are early rains and there's late rains. And here's why if the situation that you're in, take comfort, it's not going to be like this forever. Man, that sets some people free this morning. It's not going to be like this forever because in God's sovereignty, He always has a strategy in your suffering. There's always a strategy in His suffering. And so, yeah, we have to trust God's time. And here's another thing. A spiritual farmer trusts God's fruit. Go back to verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. And is patient with it. Until it receives the early and the late rains. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture right there. Hey, as a believer, God's up to something. He's going to water it in his timing. And we just keep being patient in our waiting. The point that James is making is that, based on verses 1 through 6, is this. Even at the hands of other people, even under the stress we might not like, God is Planting something new in us. And as a spiritual farmer, God is interested in a spiritual harvest. That's the key. And there are seasons in our spiritual life that just like there are seasons in the soil, there's, there's ups and downs. You guys write this down. Just because the weather doesn't look right for a harvest in your current situations, man, don't, this is it. This is worth the drive over here, right there does not mean God has stopped preparing precious fruit to be enjoyed later. Here's the beautiful thing about the Word of God. It knows how to bust you up. The Word of God knows how to open you up. It knows, you know, it, the ground, the spiritual ground in our heart. Man, the, the, the God knows how to bust it up and open it up and work it up. And by the grace of God, He knows how to cover it up. Amen? For His good purposes. And we wait and we watch. Why? Because God is working. He's working. And I don't know about you, but I pray God never stops working on me. Amen? Philippians chapter 2. It's kind of our theme verses. We say it all the time. It's this message. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, he's in jail right here, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working. God who is working. It's God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purposes. 
Here's what that tells us. It is, it is God alone who gives you the desire to want to work for Him and then the ability to actually get it done. There are some people that have no interest in planting a garden in the back of their yard. Nobody. But there are some of you that can't wait until Good Friday so that you can fire up the tractor and you can bust up some ground. Right? Where does that desire come from? I don't know, maybe from your grandparents. I don't know. Maybe it costs you cheap and you don't want to overpay at Kroger. I don't know. But there's a desire. And what this scripture is telling us is for those believers who are, who are working out and strengthening their salvation like a guy in a gym, it's God who is desiring those things. It's God that wakes you up in the morning and says, I desire to work it out. And Lord, I need you to help me get the job done today. So how do, we, how do we wait and how do we watch for the Lord when the weather seems off and the, and the weeds just won't stop growing? Because that was where these new believers were in this area. It was just everywhere they looked, culture was just, just pressing in on them. It's like they, they couldn't get traction. But it's in that that we know the secret of the farmer is that God is producing a future harvest in our lives. And so why did the farmer wait so long? Why, why does the farmer endure so long? Why does the farmer stay so long? Because he knows what the scripture says, that in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. And I love the word that the text uses. It says precious fruit. Precious fruit. Not just any fruit. I'm talking about some precious fruit. The, the greatest production that the Spirit of God can make in your life. What you get from the Lord is always better than what you might have to go through to get it because it's precious. Did y'all get that? It's valuable. God's not after our comfort. He's after our commitments. He's not just after our comfort. He's after our confirmation. He's not after our Lifted hands or our hallelujahs. He's after the glory that wants to be produced out of my life and out of your life. That's the precious fruit. Through the power of the Spirit into the example of the Son. And the reality is this. That we're shaped the fastest to look like Christ and to walk like Christ and to think and to act godly through the trials and the troubles of this life. Often, don't miss this, through the hands of other people. And what James is telling these believers is, hey, I know that the culture around you is pressing on you, but don't you give up because it's in that pressing at the hands of ungodly people that, is, that, that God is using to make you the most godly you'll ever be. And so those areas of your life, those seasons of your life where it seems like you're not getting any traction, stay with the ship. God's producing something precious in your life. So much so that if you try to avoid those situations, it's, it's, it's re the reality is you might forfeit some precious fruit. The reason that I like uh, a fried green tomato so much is because I'm often too impatient to wait for it to get red. <laughs> and so I pull it off there and I need to use... We don't want to wait for it. And in America, I think it's really working against us because we're such an instant gratification nation. You know, if you've done missions, even in Mexico, we experience this. We've done missions other places outside the country, but the pace is just different. 
But it's often in just the slowness and the stillness of that pace that we are made into the image of Christ. But often, we don't want to wait for it. That's why everything really in America, business-wise and retail, has express lanes. You cannot fast-track quality spiritual fruit in a life of a believer. You can't do it. It takes a long just a long desire of consistency. Just to keep moving. Keep moving. And so the question is, how do we do it? What's this? A spiritual farmer prepares the heart. Man, I love the way he's walking through it. A church at its best waits and watches like a faithful farmer. And a faithful farmer, in spiritual terms, waits and trusts God's time. And it trusts God's fruit. In order for all that to come together... You have to prepare the heart, just like you have to prepare the ground. Verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient to the Lord's coming. And see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthening your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Here's the thing about a smart farmer. A, f- a smart farmer knows that, that a good crop is ultimately up to the Lord at a later time. It's a mystery. He knows that. But a smart farmer knows he has a responsibility too. A smart farmer is just not going to sit on the front porch and wait for something to pop out of the ground. Y'all with me? No farmer who doesn't expect to starve to death knows he can't stand around and do nothing. And here's what I found, that if I want God to move mountains, I have to expect to wake up every morning next to a shovel. Because God expects me to take what I know and put it to work. I'm going to have to do something on purpose, for a purpose, create some spiritual disciplines, right? I'm going to have to discipline myself, train myself, it says in Galatians, for the purpose of godliness, And James says, while we wait and while we watch, we still have work to do. What is that primary work? He he answers the question. The primary work we're to do while we wait on the return of the Lord is to establish our hearts. That's it. Just establish your hearts. I love the Greek word established. The word is Sterizo. Let's say that together. Sounds like something you put on pizza, doesn't it? Sterizo. One more time. Sterizo. Here's what it means. It means to make stable. Place firmly. Set fast. To fix. I love this. To render constant. To confirm one's mind. Man, when a farmer takes, y'all, this is, this is the picture that came to my mind. When a farmer takes a little baby tomato plant, he'll stake it. Are y'all with me? Are y'all tracking this? He'll stake it. They'll stake, they'll stake the vine. What they'll do is they'll drive a stick into the ground and they will tie that stalk to something fixed so it can grow and not get pushed over by the environment and become useless. And so James is saying, hey, while you're waiting for the Lord... 
while you're waiting for him to to work things out in your life for his purpose, in his timing. You've got a responsibility. I've got a responsibility. We've got to establish our hearts. Stake your things in the things of God. Stake your life in the things of God. And no farmer is going to sit on his porch all day and, and expect some precious fruit to magically appear right in his backyard. It's just not going to happen. What does he do? He fixes his hand to the plow. He stakes the rows. And he remains constant in the work. And the, speak, the way that speaks to us is that no believer can expect God to work in your life in a powerful way without preparing for it. It's the principle, not just of the harvest, but preparing for the harvest. And James says, we've got to work making stable our lives in the things of God while we wait. So the question for us as a church is, hey, what are you staking your life on right now? What have you tied your life to right now while we wait for the Lord in the corner over America. Man, I have to ask myself these questions in my own home. Parents, what, what kind of ground are you preparing for your kids? What are you staking them to? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't tie your kids to something, the world's going to tie them up. They're being tied, their hearts are being tied to something. What are you placing? Firmly before them. Is church a priority? Are you tying their little hearts that are hungry and thirsting for the things of the Lord? Are you tying them to the stake of, of something that's a firm foundation? Husbands, what kind of ground are you establishing in the home? Man, if you say, man, things have been cold around the house lately. It's because that's the thermostat that you've set. Our wives, they're the, they're the thermometer. They let, they let us know what we've set in the home. Cold or hot, up or down. And so, so often as men, we're, we're quick to point the finger, but man, we've, the people inside of our roof, they respond to the environment that we set so often. And so what are we staking our lives to, men? And we heard, we heard a powerful word in here Thursday night about how to anchor down into the things of God. Our homes, I don't care what, what Gump says, our homes aren't a box of chocolates. What we render constant is what we're going to get. That's, that's the idea of established. What are you rendering constant? Mom, dad, don't, don't just hope your kids are going to follow God when they're adults. I'm saying you plow and you plant and you stake it now. Amen? Stake them in church now while they're tender. While they're tender. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to leave that up to chance. In my house, I'm going to stabilize them as best I can now. Do I miss the mark? Of course I miss the mark. But we do that by exposing our lives to the hammer of the word and to the spade of prayer. That's how we stake our families. And here's what I promise. The more you expose your life and your family to the word of God... And to praying together, the faster you're going to see God produce something beautiful inside of your homes. Because you've staked your life to something real. But the reality is that the opposite is, all, is also true. That, that if you neglect the spiritual soil, it's going to be much harder to expect a spiritual harvest. You guys write this down. 
your availability increases your established ability. Your availability increases your established ability. Man, verse 8 says it right here. You must also be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. The Lord's coming is near. And what he's saying is, in light of the certainty of God's coming judgment on the wicked people that were in verses 1 through 6, he's saying, believers, you be patient and you work hard to shore up. Work hard to reinforce what you believe in spite of the trying circumstances so that you can bear fruit. And church, while we wait and, and while we watch, what are we doing on purpose for a purpose? What a great question to ask yourself every morning. Lord, help me to do something on purpose for purpose today. Help me to, to stake my life on something today so that I can shore up my heart so that I don't have to get angry and mad when the world pushes me in a corner and I can fix my eyes on the eastern sky. And then he wraps it up in verse 9. It says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another. So that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. So what is, what is, how does he wrap up this, this um, object lesson with the spiritual farmer? Well, he says this. Our spiritual farmer works well with others. Our spiritual farmer works well with others. We don't have them so much now, you know, middle school, high school. But in elementary school, it was on your report card. You had all the grades. And then you had all the, like, the non-tangibles, right? The, all the, the character grades. Do they listen? Are they respectful? Do they hit people with the toys? Do they work well with others? Check all those boxes. Man, as a believer, that is a box for us. Do we work well with others? He's, he's saying if you're going to be in a persecution and you're not, you're not boarding the plane and it seems like culture's pushing you down, you have to, a spiritual test is how well we work with others. That's what verse 9 says. Brothers and sisters, no, it's not believers and unbelievers. It's how we relate with one another. Doctrine is our bedrock. Unity is our what? Glue. Some of you guys paid to have that on the back of your shirt. Ethics is our power. Jesus is our king. And so when you think about unity, brothers and sisters, if you're in a Christian home, this also relates to you and your children if they're believers, or you or your husband and wife as brothers and sisters. How you relate to one another There was this country farmer, and he, uh, he found himself next to a high-powered businessman in a New York elevator. And as they were going up, the businessman looked at this farmer and the way he was dressed. He had old jeans. He had a little mud on his boots. And, and he asked the farmer in judgment, he said, how much land do you have? The farmer said, well, I, I have quite a few acres I tend to every day. And the rich man looked at him. He said, well, back on my ranch... I can drive all day and never make it all the way around my property. And the old farmer said, mm, I had an old truck like that one time too. <laughs> Man, what judgment. What James is saying is, hey, like a farmer, there is no time in the faith family to be at odds with one another. Amen. 
There is no time in the faith family because the return of the Lord is imminent. There is no time for judgment and there's no time for backbiting. We're in this thing together called the journey of heaven. We're in it together. And if you think about a farmer, why is it that, that some of the best neighbors you can ever have is a what? Farmer. Because they're not impatient. Because impatience with others is, is really a sign that we're, that we're impatient with God. How can a farmer be so patient with you? It's because he's not impatient with the Lord. He's understand a healthy pace. Here's the reality. As soon as we begin swinging the sickle on others, we're going to miss the harvest for what God has for us. I asked a local rancher friend this week this question. I said, why is it that farmers and ranchers are known to be some of the best neighbors? And I got like this three-point sermon outline thing. And it was spot on to the text. And I even edited it. I just copied and pasted it. Because it was exactly the point that I was trying to make. This person said, willingness. Willing to put in physical effort because that's already a part of our job. Knowing that work produces results. It's exactly what the text is saying. The next word that they use is, uh, is acclimation. They're already used to the weather. And so it aids in the willingness to get dirty and to get muddy and to get sweaty. And then, it said, then, then they said readiness, living life with others that rely on you constantly through all season. It makes you prepared. From the clothes we wear to battling the circumstances to the small tricks we've learned to aid in random things, ranchers aren't panicked. And they usually have a trick when, when random things arise and, and they have the right equipment to know how to handle it. What a picture of working together. Are y'all with me? Man, I might not have all the tricks of the trade, but when I work with another believer, I pick up things along the way. Man, how did you get through this season of your life? Man, how did you face this? How did you walk into this situation, get this test result, go through such a dark season and come out on the other side? What is the trick? You walk with other believers. Are y'all with me? And the last word that they used, this rancher, was endurance. I love it. It said, you can't stop even though it's not done or hard. Them cows and horses still got to eat. See, no advantage comes from not helping a neighbor in his own field. Y'all with me? He's getting the same crop you're getting. Because he's got the same ground you've got. The only difference between that ground and this ground is a property line that's listed somewhere in a county official courthouse document. But I'm going to tell you, we plow and we sow just like they plow and they sow. We go through hard times in the white home just like you go through hard times in your home. So we are all waiting and working and serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so there is no time to push each other down and not help each other out. Don't judge your neighbor when his fence needs mending. Help him. Y'all with me? Don't grumble against your neighbor when the animals get loose. Go help him round them up. Don't complain when there are sounds in the night coming next door. Go get your light and tell your wife to go help them. No, don't do that. 
Get your light and go out and help help them. See, church, when we, when we realize that we're all under the same fallenness of this world, it changes our perspective, doesn't it? Man, I'm in Rome, America, just like you are. Man, I'm going to tell you what, the, the world's trying to gobble up my kids just like he's trying to gobble up your kids. We're in this thing together, being molded for the same spiritual purpose. The Spirit of God wants to produce in my life the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control, just like He wants to produce that in your life. And He is looking, and I am looking for the same return, just like you. I don't know about you, but anytime I hear a, a strange rumbling noise outside, I think it's Jesus returning. How do I do sometimes? Just the other night, something was going up in the night. The next morning, Parker's like, Dad, did you hear that last night? I didn't hear a thing. He's like, what was it? He said, it was this weird rumbling. I thought Jesus was coming back. Because I've staked that in his life. Y'all with me? I've staked that in my family's life. And here's the beauty. When we all share the imminent return, it cuts out all the bitterness in brothers and sisters and the backbiting. And the consequences of this sinful attitude. And I love the way he ends it. Look at this. Verse 10. Brothers and sisters. Take the prophet who spoke in the Lord's name. As an example of suffering and patience. See we. Count as blessed those who endured. See there are men and women that are much older than me. That face things much harder than I will probably ever face. That I look to. And man what an encouragement. I look, their faithfulness, decades that they've walked through the worst life has to offer, and they're faithful. That's what James is saying to these believers. He said, not just the farmer, but hey, look to those prophets, and not just those prophets, but you look upon Job, and you look into the, you look into the word, and if you think about it, most of the arguing and most of the grumbling stems from selfish impatience. And so that farmer knows that waiting and watching and working, it's a part of life. So what good is found in fighting with your neighbor over things you can't change? You guys write this down and we're done. There's no spiritual advantage to stay at odds with other believers because all are working toward the same return of Jesus. Now, I got people in heaven that I can't wait to see. And I don't have time to argue with you over my desire to go see them. And so a church at its best, it waits and it watches and it works together for the coming of our King because it's nearer than it's ever been before. Let's stand together. I'm going to read this last verse. It's, it's closer than it's ever been before. The end of verse 11 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so the question this morning is, are we ready? Are we ready for the return of the Lord? And how do we get ready? Well, we know that He's compassionate and He's merciful. And so we run into His presence with our hands open wide and our hearts made available and say, Lord, here I am, use me. I'm a wretched man 
without you. I'm a wretched woman without you. There's nothing in myself that's good that can produce fruit. But Lord, I need you to save me from myself so that I can live my life for your purposes because you're graceful and you're merciful. Maybe that's your what's next. It's a relationship with Christ and follow the Lord in believer's baptism as a physical, outward expression of what you believe Christ has done. But maybe it's making things right with another brother and sister. Maybe that you've been arguing over a fence line <laughs> that had no business arguing over as you turn your eyes to Jesus. Come on, praise team. So our praise team, they're going to lead us in a, a song of invitation. And I expect God to move because that's what his word does. And so the question on the floor this morning is, what's God calling you to do? And how much longer are you going to wait to do it? If God has saved you, and you have not made that profession public, I want you to meet me right here. God can save you anywhere. God can save you when you recognize your need for Him, the sufficient payment of Jesus on the cross, and believe in new life based in resurrection. If you put your faith and trust in that, by the authority of God's Word, His Spirit will begin to produce fruit in you. It might be an invisible decision, but if it's real, it won't be invisible for long. You don't defend a lion, you just let him out, baby. And so if the gospel is real, it begins to do things. And so if the Lord is calling into a relationship, I want to have a gospel conversation with you. Maybe you just want to simply come down here and, and just praise the Lord for something. Maybe you want to kneel right where you are in your chair. Whatever God has you do, be obedient to His voice. Let's pray together. Father, you're, you're good to us. God, you're good to us to prepare us in our waiting so that we're not, uh, our testimony is not squeezed from us. Lord. We can face most intense heat that the enemy can throw our way. We can bend, Lord, but we shall not break. We can be struck down. We can be crushed, but we won't be destroyed because of the risen Son of God. So, Father, there's someone in here that needs to make a decision for you. God, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation, that they will respond to the zeal that you're putting in their hearts right now. Lord, the pull that they're feeling is your voice for your good purposes. Father, I pray today will be a day of surrender. Maybe it's a day of, of renewed relationships. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's, if there's a, a home in here that needs to be staked down to something different, that today would be a day that a daddy puts a stake in the ground or mama puts a stake in the ground. Maybe a granddaddy, maybe a grandmama, aunt and uncle, or maybe a student. This today, Lord, is the day I'm committing to put a new stake in the ground so that I can take new ground and bear good fruit, precious fruit that this world needs to see in my life. God, I thank you that you work in us despite of us and you love us despite us and you died for us because of us. And it's in that truth that we live and breathe and have our being. And it's in that position that we can lift our broken hands in full surrender and worship. God, you are our living hope. So God, come alive the next few minutes. 
We pray it in Jesus' name. The name above all names. The name, the Savior of Israel. Yeshua HaMashua. Lord, we claim it. It's because of Jesus that we can face tomorrow. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.